1: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Nokia routers are found vulnerable to man-in-the-middle and denial-of-service attacks. As one would expect, the U.S. and North Korean summit in Hanoi this week summons up some hacking, Ukraine accuses Russia of DDoS attacks in the service of election disruption. US Cyber Command played some chin music for St. Petersburg during US midterm elections. And if you're going to hack into an embassy, wouldn't you want to do more than install a cryptojacker? From the CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, February 27th, 2019. Maryland-based Tenable Research announced this morning its discovery of six vulnerabilities in Nokia routers that could allow an attacker to launch man-in-the-middle or denial-of-service attacks, modify or log network traffic, and spread malware into places that were previously secure. One vulnerability permits an attacker to disable the firewall and access a Telnet service by sending a modified HTTP request. Another allows for stack buffer overflows or arbitrary code execution. Tenable also found hard-coded root credentials in SSH and Telnet services. The researchers say that Nokia is working on a fix. If you're a user, keep an eye out for patches. U.S. President Trump and North Korean unique leader Kim Jong-un are meeting for their summit in Hanoi, and predictably the sessions have attracted the attention of hackers. The hackers in this case are probably working for Pyongyang. EST Security, a cybersecurity company in the Republic of Korea, has come across a spearfishing document last week that poses as an invitation from the Korea-U.S. Friendship Society to a meeting in Seoul regarding the Trump-Kim summit. The company says the malware delivered is associated with North Korean hackers. CrowdStrike's vice president of intelligence Adam Myers told CyberScoop that it's observed the same document lure being used by a suspected North Korean threat actor it calls Velvet Chalima. A chalima is an East Asian pegasus, much used as a symbol of heroic success in North Korea. The researchers don't reveal who was targeted by the spearfishing, but CyberScoop notes that North Korean state-sponsored hackers have been known to go after analysts and experts in Korean affairs. The retail industry faces significant challenges fighting payment fraud as more and more of our transactions move online. Payment systems need to strike a careful balance between keeping our information safe but not slowing the transaction down and inconveniencing the customer or merchant. Randy Vanderhoof is director of the U.S. Payments Forum and the Secure Technology Alliance.
0: There's a lot of new technology that's being introduced um, to to address fraud in the online space. Um, Some of the tools have been around for a number of years um, but weren't particularly um, effective or well implemented that are now going through a revision and a refreshment which are promising to be much more uh, effective. Um, And that's a, a, a standard that, um has been developed by uh EMVCO, which is the global payment security standards organization, um, and the technology is known as 3D Secure. And the newest version is called EMV 3D Secure, which utilizes additional data elements that are available in the transaction stream, either from the mobile device tablet or from the computer system that provides additional uh, data that the retailer and the merchant, I'm sorry, the retailer and the bank um, can use to determine if they believe the person making that transaction is the authorized person to do so.
1: And what are you all seeing in terms of the fraudsters uh, for them upping their game in response to these technologies?
0: Well, the fraudsters are always quick to adapt and change. The first thing that the fraudsters typically do is when they see the door is locked at one merchant, they just go to the next merchant and keep wiggling the handle till they find a merchant that's not protected and then exploit things the old-fashioned way. Um, But as the more sophisticated retailers upgrade their fraud mitigation uh, systems and there's fewer and fewer open doors, then they start to um, change their tactics in terms of how they go about trying to uh, to commit the fraud. Things like taking advantage of the shop online pickup in store is uh, where someone could shop online with uh, a stolen credential and then five minutes later show up at the store to pick it up before the fraud group in the retailer has had a chance to review the payment data that was presented and the person walks out with the merchandise. That's a, a, a another technique or tactic that fraudsters adapt to uh, to leverage the time the merchant has to uh, verify the address information or the payment uh, shopping history of the client to make a determination as to whether or not they should trust that transaction.
1: And how do you see this playing out as we go forward? Can we continue with these evolutionary steps? Is there going to have to be some sort of a reset at some point?
0: Well, it's going to be an, a, a continuous arms race, but the the digitization of payments um, is continuingly to um, reduce the threat surface area for where merchants and issuers, you know, do have some control. Uh, So things like um, biometrics and using mobile devices where they can also track your location and the data elements uh, associated with the owner of that phone, in addition to their payment information, to have a more data-rich risk mitigation are ways in which they're fighting the, the the fraud trends in the market. Um, big data, you know, is used more uh, than just for marketing purposes. It's also used to uh, screen uh, transactions um, based on location, based on uh, the device, based on the amounts, and and with that data plus other knowledge-based resources that merchants and issuers can tap into um, about address and phone number and other past experiences, all are helping to to manage the the risk. Um, but with each additional step that is taken the concern is that we don't add additional friction to the checkout process. Hmm. Consumers ultimately decide that if it's becoming too difficult to use one um, online transaction venue, then they'll abandon it and go someplace that's simpler and easier, and particularly when they're um, they're protected in case that there was fraud anyway. So uh, the, the real challenge is to uh, step up the game in terms of identity and authentication of who we're transacting with online, and at the same time, try to do it in the background or allow those that are the most trustworthy transactions, actions to go through unimpeded and then have step up authentication when some score associated with the trust of the data that they're seeing raises suspicions to a level that requires them to do additional screening
1: that's randy Vanderhoof from the u.s payments forum and the secure technology alliance ukrainian president petro poroshenko accused russia of launching ddos attacks against Ukraine's Central Election Commission on February 24th and 25th, CyberScoop reports. Poroshenko said that defense mechanisms had been developed by the National Security Council, along with Ukrainian law enforcement agencies and their American partners. This is the latest in a long-running series of Ukrainian complaints about Russian cyber interference. The two countries have been engaged in hybrid war since Russia's forcible invasion and annexation of Crimea in 2014. We're inclined to think of state-sponsored attacks as involving espionage or perhaps sabotage against high-payoff or high-value targets like a power grid. DDoS, we're inclined to think of, as something hacktivists do. You want to punish the objectionable people who aren't listening to you on that cause that's really important to all right-thinking people. Or that competing underworld figures would do to one another. You want people to make their in-game purchases from you, not from that irritating guy in Saskatchewan. But really, DDoS can be a form of sabotage and the kind of activity that states show signs of increasingly engaging in. DDoS attacks against international affairs targets increased by 200% in the second half of 2018 compared to the second half of 2017, according to NetScout. The volume of nation-state threat activity increased as well. The U.S. Justice Department has recently included DDoS among the list of offenses it asserts Iranian state-backed hackers have committed so President Poroshenko's claims aren't, on their face, implausible. The Washington Post reports that U.S. Cyber Command disrupted Russia's Internet research agency's networks on the day of the U.S. midterm elections and for a short period afterwards to prevent Russian trolls from spreading disinformation on social media while votes were cast and counted. The campaign effectively cut off the Internet for the entity, causing the trolls to complain to their system administrators. The strike is generally viewed as a good thing in the U.S., although some analysts doubt it will have much of an impact on future Russian information operations. Security expert Thomas Ridd said that, quote, such an operation would be more of a pinprick, end quote, than a long-term deterrent. Some defense officials said that grand strategic deterrence wasn't the objective here. One official told The Post that part of our objective is to throw a little curveball, inject a little friction, so confusion... This seems sensible enough. A brushback, not a knockdown. We've heard generals call this sort of thing letting the enemy know that you care. Cyber Command was granted the authority to launch more offensive campaigns by a Trump administration policy implemented last August. Finally, security firm Trustwave this morning released a report on their discovery that the website for the Bangladeshi embassy in Cairo was infected with a coin miner in October and recently began distributing crypto-mining malware to visitors via malicious Word documents. The site is still compromised, so steer clear. Researchers don't believe a nation-state is behind the activity due to its lack of sophistication, but they say it serves as a reminder that even low-skilled attackers can hack important government sites. It's worth noting the pettiness of compromising such a site for crypto-mining purposes... It's more Boris and Natasha than Jim Angleton, and even Fearless Leader would probably call Boris out for it. But please, Madam or Mr. Ambassador, look to your security, wherever your embassy may be. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. And joining me once again is David DeFore. He's the Vice President of Engineering and Cybersecurity at Webroot. David, it's great to have you back. Um, You have some exciting
2: news to share uh, on the business end of things. Uh, A few changes going on there at Webroot? Um, Yes, quite a few. Uh, First of all, uh, it's glad to be back here, David. Um, You know, Webroot is in the process of being acquired by Carbonite, um, and we're, we're very excited about that.
1: So take me through. What is that like for you and your team when when something like this was announced? First of all, were, were there did you know it was coming? Were there inklings of it,
2: or was the rumor mill running, or was it pretty uh, transparent? So it was it was kind of a surprise for us uh, from the engineering side. Um, I think a lot of times engineering teams are heads down, focused on their product development and, and things like that. And we don't spend a lot of time um, looking at the business or even, you know, businesses working with other businesses. So I don't want to say it was a surprise in the sense that, you know, someone came along and was interested, but but I don't know that we were ready for, you know, the the announcement and, and it did surprise us to some extent.
1: Yeah. So, but what's the mix of emotions there? I, like you, you mentioned that you're excited about it. I would imagine if it were me, there'd, there'd be a certain amount of anxiety there too because nobody likes change. That, that's
2: true, David. Um, I would say though, surprisingly, uh, from the engineering side of things, there's a lot more excitement than there is you know, fear or, or concern simply because uh, we're a cybersecurity company. And, and as you know, since, since um, I've been on the program, um, I almost always in the program. With uh, one of the n- main things you can do is back up a computer to prevent attacks and, and to recover. And and so as as cybersecurity experts, we're super excited to to be working with and and working for a company that that provides that service because it's a fundamental thing to being secure. And on top of that, we're very complementary from a product perspective. So the engineering product org isn't feeling a lot of uh, concern because. We build endpoint solutions, cybersecurity solutions, DNS things like that, um, and and where their focus has pri- primarily been on um, data protection, um, and so it's a really good fit. So from a purely engineering perspective, we're very excited because it, it there isn't a lot of threat to people's jobs from from the engineering side at all.
1: So what are the things that you're excited about? What will this allow you to do? Uh, does it mean um, a greater access to funding or resources? What do you what are you pumped up about?
2: Well, yeah, I'm sure now I'm going to have like people on the bench, tons more resources, all kinds of money, nothing, you know, nobody's going to care about (laughs) lighting (laughs) cigars with hundred dollar bills. Exactly. (laughs) No, I'm fairly certain we're going to be, we're going to um, still be running a tight ship as we have moving forward, you know, Carbonite's a publicly traded company. So I think one of the big changes for us is we're going to kind of be under the microscope on, on our product focus, um, how we're delivering where we as a private company have had the, the luxury of you know keeping that kind of stuff quiet but i do believe uh, there's going to be a lot of work we can do and be very creative since we're both cloud-based companies playing in the same space with different different products on how to how to build better solutions from a cybersecurity perspective to protect folks but yeah i don't think we're going to be you know sitting around looking for work for sure there's there's a lot of stuff that that the business leaders are already putting together that they they want us to be thinking about
1: now, from your position as a team leader, the folks that you work with, how do you manage a transition like this yourself? How do you uh, communicate to your team what's coming, what to expect, uh, and to keep
2: people's uh, spirits up and their anxiety down? Well, that's that's actually a great question and something that's really important uh, to consider. And so we have uh, I personally have folks in five offices, and in the last two weeks, I've been to four of those. And, and I really feel like there's got to be a commitment to getting in front of folks, being very direct with them. And as I think my team would tell you, I'm pretty blunt about about what I think um, is happening in, in general. And so I, I try to just be as forthcoming with information as I can. And then I have to add on top of that, that then you've got to kind of be around in a in a way that makes it so people can approach you on the side. Um, and, and get their questions because maybe they didn't want to ask them in a larger group. So as as engineering leadership, you, you've got to really you know, consider the audience. A lot of engineers can be introverted. So you need to get the, the information out to the teams. You need to really spend face time with them. And then you need to make yourself highly available in a comfortable environment where they can approach you with questions to mitigate any concerns they may have.
1: Well, good luck to you and your team. I certainly wish you the best. Uh, it seems like a, a good fit. So uh, David DeFor, thanks for joining us. It's been great being here, David. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security